They're like bomb disposal experts. We're trying to remain very, very still this week. Welcome to Hand of Blood. possible is that we're recording in a new place this week, uh, the, the flat of a friend of English Dan's. We can call it Caesar's Palace if you like. That's a very good one, yeah. Uh, he is called Caesar then, presumably. Yes. Good. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Palace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're sitting on some very comfortable, uh, but slightly <coughs> slightly squeaky uh, leather <laughs> armchairs, so we're going to, to attempt to stay as still as we can, but apologies if, if any of the noise does come through on the recording. We're not farting, we're just moving about slightly. Um, I'm here with English Dan. Hello. And with Seba. Hola, como están? Both of whom's bottoms you've already heard if you've mouths <coughs> before now. Uh, sometimes it can be difficult to tell them apart, admittedly. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> Um, it's Tuesday evening as we record it'll be Wednesday of course as usual by the time this goes online probably um, and yesterday the Torneo Apertura 2011 ended the 2011 Apertura for those who don't speak Spanish um, Boca Juniors succeeded in becoming unbeaten champions they beat all boys on Sunday 1-0 um, and yesterday we had a, a thrilling well it was thrilling from where Seven and Dan were actually. Did you go to the game, Dan? I didn't go to the game actually. So no. I was thrilling from where you two were watching. I was in Independiente Stadium without too much idea what was going on, except that Seba very kindly texted me the score updates. Um, there was a four-way battle for for Copa Libertadores qualification, um, which eventually saw Godoy Cruz win through as as they really should have done several weeks ago. Um, their manager had threatened to resign if they didn't <laughs> qualify for the Copa. And he's still. He's still uh, thinking about thinking it. Thinking yeah. of mm. not, not Alicia. continuing with his work at Godoy Cruz, which is, and maybe we, we'll discuss it further uh, or a bit later. But Godoy Cruz is probably the one case in the world in which a constant change of manager uh, doesn't affect them mm. that much. And they all seem to do very well at Godoy Cruz, and then when they go elsewhere, they're not so good. And maybe there's something there. <laughs> maybe they don't want to yeah. stick around yeah. with the same manager for a long time, but it's certainly something that. Raise the uh, raise the eyebrows because you think what's going on? They, they never continue for more than one season, but they they they, they still con- get to the Copa Libertadores. They they do better than uh, in their whole history before this last four or five years. Well, so I think um, Omar Assad had a few seasons and. There right before he left. Yeah, but it's it's not like he was there for for ages. No, he was there maybe one two years kind of. Maybe, that was my, yeah. But not, not I think the important thing for Godoy Cruz has been, even though yeah they've seen a couple of managers go and they've also seen a lot of very good players go hmm. over the last two years where they've been in the Libertadores and they've been in the top half of the table. But what you can say about the club is that they've kind of kept the same idea of play. They always like to attack. They like to keep their opposition on the back foot hello cat and it's yeah I think we can we would all agree that it's one of the most interesting exciting teams to watch they're the ones that are always going to threaten to score goals and I think the fact that they've managed to keep this going this is funny because I said to the follow to my followers yeah there won't be dogs on the, back, on the background but now we have a cat now we have a cat yeah and the hand of her name cat. is Janet Janet and yeah, so what? Yeah, so Godoy Cruz have managed to keep this very high-pressure attacking football, and it means they let in a lot of goals at times. But you always kind of see that the players know what they're doing, and they've also got some very good players. And yeah, I think that's what they've managed to keep through, even if at a management level they haven't always been the most stable. And I would I would also hazard a guess and and say that maybe the pressure there is not that high. Oh no, it's a expectations are not are not. As 
as big as they are in, in bigger clubs. Or even just because and that probably when helps. I say this, they haven't got the, yeah. the focus of the press. You know, they might yeah. get a couple of lines every every week in the newspapers, but almost nothing kind yeah. of from Ole, Clarín, La Nación, these big big people. I think that's got to help, yeah. They're out of the spotlight and they love it. They'd be a potentially uh, good job as a kind of retirement gig for Sir Alex Ferguson when he leaves Man United. There's lots of very good wine in close proximity <laughs> to the stadium. But, so I certainly appreciate that. And they play attacking football. Yeah, but the, the, the word now, the rumour, very strong rumour now, is that Martin Palermo could make his uh, debut as a manager working for, for Godoy Cruz. Um, Thank God. <laughs> and based on your the, the look that you're giving me, you haven't heard of this before. No, no, I uh, have not. There is, there is a strong rumour Martin Palermo will be offered the Godoy Cruz job. And it will be... A very good first job for 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 him. Perfect, yeah. Like yeah. a team, a team that is built mm. and in Copa Libertadores, so it could be an exciting challenge for it, for Palermo. It could well be a better appointment for Palermo than for Godoy Cruz. Let's not judge his management ability. No, no, we'll give him at least two games. Going into the Copa Libertadores yeah, with a very inexperienced manager. Mm. Um, I mean, as it happens, you know, it, it's. Relatively speaking, as, as we'll mention probably a little bit later, working so far for, say, River Plate in a new division with, with a new manager. Yeah. Uh, but it's always going to be a, a bigger gamble than signing somebody up who has been proven to know what they're doing already. Aside from Godoy Cruz, uh, the big winners of this round, guys, did you mm. think there were any particularly? Uh, Obviously, to have the unbeaten record now. But there, wasn't, there wasn't much to be to, at stake to... So to speak, apart from the Copa Libertadores spot, but I will I would say Argentino Juniors they got to Copa Sudamericana qualification places uh, with a win. Um, San Martin de San Juan they got a bit of a cushion uh, f- between their position and the relegation zone. And and one team I like yeah. exactly well. yeah. yeah. One team I'd like to mention as well is um, Belgrano. Yeah. Who actually ended up finishing joint second with Racing Vélez and Colón, Colón I believe, mm-hmm. with a one 0 win over Arsenal. Yeah, and the game was important because it was also the last game of Franco Vázquez, who was scored, who scored the winner, scored a beautiful, beautiful goal as well, like a one-two with Cesar Pereira, and he just—I think he spent almost all the game in tears. He was absolutely cut up about leaving his team. He was captain for the day, and after he scored the goal, yeah, just burst into tears at final whistle again. And it was just really nice to see. I think yeah. we've all rated him. Maybe Sam not so much because he put the nose into River. But <laughs> I think no, I, I yeah. said a couple of weeks ago I was very impressed when I saw him at Racing. Yeah, uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, and he it was, was Belgrano's uh, best uh, short mm. tournament performance yeah, when fantastic. it comes to points. It was their record, uh, thirty-one points. They, they never got mm. uh, as as far yeah. as. And newly promoted sides tend to aim for somewhere around 50 if they can for the whole season. So the fact yeah, that they've already broken the 30 barrier is, is huge mm-hmm. psychologically for them as well. And they had a great season. I mean, we all thought Atletico Madrid were going to be the big challenge for Rafaela. Uh, yeah. But, but in fact, they, all, all four of the sides have done well in the Apertura because San Martin and, and uh, Rafaela have both finished on 26 points and Union have 25 so yeah. that none of them have done at all badly all four teams in their really top half, half. Yeah. Yeah. could make a relegation fight exactly. very very interesting if they keep it up in the second half of the season yeah, yeah and then the other side of the coin of course San Lorenzo we already mentioned Olimpo uh, we've had an awful season and yeah. Banfield Banfield they got it's hammered yeah. by Cologne but I think, I think my pick my pick is news because mm. they finished the, the league with 15 games without a win and and they were really unlucky because they could have scored deep in, into injury time if it wasn't for a fantastic save by Caranta, I believe, who was in goal for, for Lanús at the time. Yeah, uh, Lanús Newells finished 2-2 and Newells have finished the Apertura with a record of one win, 13 draws, which is a short championship record, um, and five losses. And it's not too difficult really to see where the problem is because... They've conceded 18, so they've conceded fewer than a goal a game. They've only scored 13 in 19 matches, which is mm. pathetic. Um, yeah. And given so that they really had quite high hopes at the start of the season as well, and they had an attacking new manager um, in Javier Torrente, and a couple of decent attacking signings as well over the winter break. And then they, come together yeah, they, they changed managers uh, halfway yes. through the apertura, and now apparently Diego Caña is on his way out. Yeah. And... 
it's not looking good for for news if you if you think of the clausura and their fight against relegation they could they could be safe uh, during the clausura but then if you take a look a bit further down the road uh, it's suddenly going to get more tricky yeah. the, the, the next season will start with them rock bottom of the relegation yeah. and they will need the, the promoted sides from 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 next season to, to do quite badly yeah. in order to survive that's happening so yeah. yeah absolutely and of course one of the promoted sides from next season if, if it is River would be taking their yeah. points total from last season back into the, the Promedia which would give them the starting points tally of 1.5 right away which currently would put them 7th um, if they did, if River did come straight back up, of course, uh, um, we'll get onto River in more detail in, yeah. in a little while. Um, but the other big losers for me are, are Tigre because we, well, I particularly was praising them whilst Aussie Dunn was disparaging me and calling me an idiot for doing so um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in the last ten days of the season, they've lost all three of the last three matches, including last night, the game that I was at in the Benyente Tigre when they took the lead after ten minutes from a penalty. Um, still had the lead at, at half time and, and threw it away really in the second half who were not particularly impressive independiente side it was it was an entertaining game but the standard wasn't too high um, and they've suddenly gone from looking like they might just get out of it to really needing to get off to a flyer again in the Klausura now if they're going to uh, to claw back some of these nine points that they've lost in three matches yeah they could have gone closer to San Lorenzo and and really had a, I don't know, a bigger chance to stay up uh, next season. I believe now they're how many points behind San Lorenzo? Uh, nine. Yeah, nine points. Behind there you go. Lorenzo, Those, yeah. th- that's your nine points, you know. And, and especially the three they they dropped against San Lorenzo. Around, they, they lost to oh, San Lorenzo yeah. as well in, in yeah. one of those three. To, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be very very tricky for them. And we have to apologise to uh, somebody on Twitter. I'm afraid I've forgotten your username. Uh, who, oh no, sorry, somebody on, on my blog who made a comment and uh, said that every time we praise Tigre on Hand and Pod, <laughs> they end up doing very badly for the next week. Uh, so I apologise, Joaquin. Um, we'll try not to do it next season. <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not going to lose next weekend, right? No, I, I don't think so. The way their luck is going, you never know. They, they might find a way to... Um, some of those results in full that we've mentioned already, Argentinos were uh, 1-1-0 against Olimpo, Belgrano 1-1-0 against Arsenal, which given Belgrano, actually, I, I think I predicted an Arsenal win for that for Hong Kong Jockey Club because Belgrano have had a terrible home record the, the whole season. Uh, they've been very, very good away, but I think that's only their second win at home all season. Estudiantes beat Union 2-0, Boca beat All Boys 1-0, Colón thrashed Banfield 4-1, and that's another home record that's been very disappointing for really the last couple of years now on Colón well if they were going to get a win against anybody it was going to be Banfield Lanús 2 Newells 2 we've already said Rafaela 0 Godoy Cruz 2 Vélez 1 Racing 0 Independiente 2 Tigre 1 those last three were all played at the same time due to Copa Libertadores qualification uh, thingies and San Martín 1 San Lorenzo 0 and I'm just trying to Godoy Cruz's win we've already mentioned for Godoy Cruz as well but I think it's their, their first win away from home all season um, another, it might have been the second yeah. but. and it was another Godoy Cruz old boy who sank Racing's chances as well it was uh, David Ramirez oh uh, right yeah he scored not he, David Ruben Ruben Tito Ramirez Hmm? Ah, no, no, I know, I know. For Vélez, well, okay, yeah. I'm confused. No, I thought <laughs> so it was a boy who scored for yeah, Godoy, yeah. and the exactly. old boy yeah. he scored against Racing, yeah. I didn't understand yeah. your, your accent, sorry. It's, it's tricky, yeah. <laughs> You'll get it, I'll give you classes sometime. Oh, okay. Get it. So, yeah, basically the only goal in the Racing game, I won't go on about, about it too much, because it turned out to be a bit irrelevant with Godoy Cruz's win, but... Yeah, it was just a long ball up the field and Matias Cajais, a central defender for Racing, made a complete, complete mess up of it. Just went to clear the ball and missed it completely. Just kicked the air. Just It was a complete air shot, yeah. Uh, Ramirez w- went straight through and Saka was never He could never yeah. do anything yeah. about it. No, not necessarily one to watch. Although yeah. One that you should watch if you're only going to look up a goal video from, from one game this weekend would be my recommendation would be I think it was Pablo Perez I think it was Newell's second against Lanús which was really a, a, a lesson in, in how to volley a football yeah. full pelt whilst 
sprinting onto it. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, kind of chipped ball over the top, and he came at it from an angle and just smashed it past the keeper. It was brilliant. Um, yeah. So no, speaking of uh, speaking of Cajais, um, the, the Racing defender, he was one of the best Racing defenders or players uh, in the whole tournament. He did well. Yeah, it was yeah. much better than in previous tournaments. Yeah, but, but, but um, that on, on that same uh, stadium and on the same goal in 2006. Yeah. Yeah, five years ago today. He made a mistake, a terrible mistake that cost Boca mm. a tournament, a title against Estudiantes in the final. Mm. And eventually, he, he cost Cajais a place at Boca. Yeah. He, he was let go, he went to play for Gimnasia de Jujuy, and now he's playing for Racing. And as I said, he, he, was, he was unlucky, but he was one of the best players. Yeah, uh, he had a good season, you yeah. think. But he must just be cursed in yeah, uh, Lina. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's not his favourite. His favourite round. Not, no. We can say and not for sure. either. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, some of the other business to clear up is that, of course, Estudiantes' two uh, 0 win over Union was not Juan Sebastián Morón's last game. Um, we spent like most of the season telling you that it would be. Uh, yeah, they, they they still gave the gave him a standing ovation when he left the pitch with a couple of minutes to go and everything. Um, but he's, he's going to be playing on for six months more. Is this a good idea, guys? I mean, he, he struggled with injury, especially at the start of the Apertura. He was uh, somewhat better and got a few more minutes coming into the end of it, but is he going to have the legs to keep it up? Well, yeah, that's around? it. There's no doubt that if he's fit and if he's in good form, he's still more than good enough, and he basically carries it in Studiantes' team. If he's, but the question is, can he stay fit, even for, say, half a tournament and I'm thinking Estudiantes would be happy if he started 10, 11 games and yeah. did, what he, did what he always does. If he can play uh, that he won't play, essentially. Yeah, he won't play every game by time. any means, but if they can keep him in decent condition, then it will pay off. I think it's, it's also a good idea because it would be a chance for him to to say goodbye on a high note and, and not in a, during a tournament as bad as this tournament for Estudiantes yeah. was. He deserves better. He deserves a lot better. Yeah, for all he's done for Estudiantes. Exactly. And also, as a football fan, you always want to see players like him mm. or players of, of such quality still around in the game. And yeah. I, think it's, I think it's good news for... Even even if I don't like Estudiantes that much, <laughs> I think it's good news for, for the league mm. in general. Yeah, yeah. Estudiantes are currently... 16th in the Apertura table they still have to play uh, about 77 minutes of, of their game against Banfield which of course was called off in the 15th round was it 14th 15th round around then um, so they, they could if they won that although they're currently 1-0 down they could rise as high as 14th in the table um, but it certainly hasn't been a good campaign for them another side in a funny way who it's not been a good campaign for um, I, I joked about this last week and then saw a couple of the Argentine papers uh, on, on their websites today reporting it as it is uh, saying that Racing are the worst <laughs> second place team in the history of the short championships they, they've only got 31 points and they're further more to the point they're further behind the league leaders than anybody has, has well than any second place team has finished in, in short championship history Boca, uh, Boca's win combined with Racing's loss in the last weekend means that Boca finished 12 points clear um, at the top of the table and that's a record. For is, is Simeone going to still be in a job come come start so. the class? We, yeah, I think we we is, touched is that on this job be last Rassi? week. <laughs> I think yeah, it'll stay. But I was doing some sums earlier actually, and I kind of managed to work out that there's as big a gap between first and second as there is between second and seventeenth. I believe it was. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which is yeah, not. I think the fact that there's such a big gap says more about. Kind of the fact Boca didn't have much of a challenge from anyone over the over the league season, rather than any specific failings of Racing. I mean, we've talked at length about what those failings are, but I think it's more of a case Boca were just that bit better in every game than than their opposition. Yeah, yeah. Like we said that Racing could have turned a few of these ten draws that they got into. Yeah, those. and there was a few where they got pegged back late and they give away stupid equalisers. They could have put a second in and. There's a lot. There's a lot of ifs, ifs and buts about this tournament. I think if you're a Racing fan, but I think the bottom line for Racing fans <laughs> should be that a um, couple of seasons ago we were playing for promotion. Yeah, exactly. We were 
constantly under threat. We Six actually months we, ago, we lost ten games. Though. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and that's we were on an up on the up uh, with Russo, yeah. I believe, when we started when we started at the, uh, the, the the Clausura, which is the previous tournament, short yeah. tournament to to this one. Uh, we were also branded as favorites to mm. win it. Then we ended up with ten losses, and, and it was ridiculous. When you see the numbers, it was ridiculous. Th those kind of poor numbers with the good or maybe very good uh, squad that yeah. Racing have, it didn't uh, play out the way it should, it should have no. been. Uh, but I think the bottom line should be that one. Should, should be that uh, that Racing right now are in no danger of getting relegated, mm. still building up. Uh, going to uh, Copa Sudamericana mm. is the return of Racing to a continental competition, be it the second or the best uh, yeah. continental continental competition. That that's irrelevant for the point I'm trying to make. And and I think the, the last tournament it was ten losses. This tournament it was ten draws. And yeah. I think Racing now should should aim to get the ten. The we number 10, ten in the right column, you know? And we'll be happy with that. <laughs> ten, yeah, 10 wins next year and I'll be, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, and to think it was only, Racing got only two or three or four points uh, from getting into Copa Libertadores, yeah. I think it's, it should be deemed as positive. Yeah. But, mm. on, the other hand, on the other hand, it's also a bit underachieving if you consider that uh, the, Simeone had the right tools in place to do something better yeah. than, than he did. And so speaking about if we look forward quickly, I know it's quite early to next season, do you think we'll see pretty much the same Racing side coming out or do you think there'll be a few changes? As I said, as I've been saying in the last couple of weeks, uh, I think it, it, will, it will all depend on the elections. Yeah. So now I was listening to Podestar today, he was speaking yeah. live on uh, TSE yeah. and he was saying, of course, it's absolute pre-election bullshit a lot of it, but he thinks he's the only one, he says he's the only one, you can guarantee that Theo and Gio will stay. Now that's the yeah pre-election. That he's in in the middle of a campaign, yeah. and he's not the favorite to win uh, the elections. And no. but I, I think we should wait and see what happens after the elections. But uh, I'm thinking Simeone will stay. Yeah. Breaking his or terminating his contract now will be both stupid and yeah. expensive. Mm. So I think I think he he will stay, and I hope the one in charge. Would tell Simeone just to change a bit the, the mentality yeah. or the approach. So I think the players are there. I, yeah, I'm kind of like running my head over the the lineup, and maybe they they could do with a couple of players more in depth. But kind of looking in the first eleven, it's hard to see what players could come in to improve that man for man. It's just it's going to depend as it always does between Apertura and Clausura on. Um, on who they hang on to and who they yeah. they end up having to let go, of course, especially once with, with and Racing aren't the only club with presidential elections coming up. Independiente also have yeah. them, as I noticed yeah. last night on the way to the game, um, and and several others. So the transfer market could be very active, both between Argentine clubs and, as usual, between Argentine and European clubs um, this winter. One guy who who is being very well, actually, we, we can mention two. Maybe there are two strikers who are being very hotly tipped to return to the countries two biggest clubs when I say return neither of them have actually played for them before um, is Santiago Silva the former Vélez striker who most people I think are now expecting to come back to Boca um, at some point and David Tresege uh, who if you only follow European football you may not be aware is, is actually Argentine <laughs> um, not French a bit like well he's slightly more patriotically French than Mauro Camaronese is Italian uh, let's say but um, and in fact, he's he's slightly more French than Mauro Camerones. He is Italian, um, but he's he's always wanted to play for River and, and never could before. And they're talking about bringing him in now. Apparently, he's flying to Buenos Aires as we record, and is very eager to do a deal, um, which would be interesting. As I hinted last week, when you've got Fernando Cabanaki firing on all cylinders, I think they could use a striker to support him rather than somebody to to take his position effectively. But we'll see how that works out. But with Silva coming into pocket, is that going to Let's say, do you think that that's, that's a signing that's being made just to add a bit of squad depth to the Libertadores, or is that going to add a different dimension to their attack in the league as well? well first of all, yeah. yeah. certainly going to make the attack yeah. scarier looking. Yeah. We have to point out, though, that this transfer is, I think, both parties are quite interested and quite keen to make it happen, but there's a good chance that it won't be able to happen, and I'll tell you why, because 
Silva started the Apertura for Vélez, played a couple of games. Then he went to Fiorentina, and FIFA regulations prohibit players from playing for three teams in the same season. So I was reading today his agent, I believe, was saying they're going to go to FIFA, ask for special dispensation because it was only two games, this kind of thing. But that could put the the kibosh on... On any deal, so he could return to Vélez. He wouldn't. He could break. return to yeah, Vélez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I assume. Yeah, but Sorry, he can't be registered. I'm for, yeah. He can't be registered for three clubs in the same season. I okay. think that's the okay. that's the key. Yeah, but no, but I, I think uh, at least Boca's intention to get another <coughs> striker. Yeah, they have the Copa Libertadores uh, ahead of them, and they also want to want to just. Uh, Cover in case Viatri is not uh, is not good enough to return. Like he had a severe injury, and we we don't know if he's, if he's going to be ready. Yeah, and Blandi, he had a great couple of uh, it starts was, yeah, for Boca, it was a couple of, games, a couple of goals. Know, yeah. But maybe he, from what I heard from Boca fans, maybe he's not ready to be the the, mm. the number one choice. As a Boca striker, and it has to be said as well that if you were going to pick one thing that that Boca could strengthen, it would probably be that area of the pitch. I mean, Blandi, as we say, had had two really impressive games. He scored twice in each of them, finished the Apertura with four goals, and was joint top scorer along with Svitanic. Mm. Um, I think he's oh, Svitanic he's actually finished with five in the end more, of yeah. Ended up getting five, five or six. Five or six um, yeah. But Blandi, in, in, in which case, Blandi was was second top scorer uh, with essentially just crucial goals but in, in only two matches whereas Silva would certainly or, yeah. or, or a player like that as Martin Palermo used to do um, much as I'll stick by what I said several times already in this apertura be quiet hello Janice giving her opinion on Santiago Silva I don't know whether she likes him or not I don't speak cat um, Catalan <laughs> I can understand a little bit of Catalan but um, but yeah, Boca's attack is certainly more mobile uh, without Palermo, but they could benefit from from having somebody who they know can get through the whole tournament, uh, the mm-hmm. whole championship, and um, and be a constant goal threat for them. Certainly, I also read that Pablo Mochi could be on his way to Botafogo, oh, really? and I'm sorry for any Botafogo fans listening, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think West Ham dodged a serious bullet when they were mentioning <laughs> they were mentioned to to be. Favorites to sign Pablo Mochi, and it's a good thing they didn't. Even though things couldn't have gone any worse than than getting relegated last season from no. the Premier League for them, it's yeah, he could have been worse. Made, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he would have getting relegated think, yeah. and have Mochi on your team. That wouldn't that wouldn't have uh, been a good yeah. thing for 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 the Hammers. You think with two games left, he would have just said, "Well, we're not relegated, we're really." <laughs> Or relegate, maybe. The the other thing that I was going to suggest, guys, was that we could try and. It was something as well that one of our listeners suggested several weeks ago, and we said that we might leave it to the end of the tournament, was whether we could try and put together a kind of hand of pod team of the Apertura. Uh Um, And I'm going to explain to the listeners at the moment that I've been thinking about this myself for a few days, but I've literally just sprung it on English Down and Seba (laughs) right now. Um, So, English Down, in in your article which you wrote yesterday. Yeah. who was there in, in some of the key positions? Formation? It was a 4-3-3. Three, three okay. With That's a kind of withdrawn third forward, yeah. And let me think if I can remember. I'm kind of being put on the spot here. I'm going to guess Saka in goal. Saka was in goal, uh, yeah. I'm not only saying because you're racing fans, but I'd, I'd have had Saka on my side as well. Yeah. Because yeah. Unanimous decision then for yeah. the keeper. So I think he was the best. Racing had a, a very good defensive record, not oh, quite as good as Bokers, but Saha had a lot more to do. Saha broke the club record for uh, the less or least uh, gold, uh, goals conceded mm-hmm. by yes. a Racing keeper list, yeah. um, and he he broke the record that Carlos Roa, the, the goalkeeper for Argentina in 1998, oh, yeah, yeah. who stopped two penalties for, from, from England. And then retired because he thought the world was going to end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he had conceded nine, and now Saha had conceded one one less goal, uh, eight. So, yeah, that, that's, that speaks volumes of what yeah. Saha did this season, or this apertura. Okay. And then who else was there? I know for the left back, I had uh, Clemente Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and I put Schiavi next to him in defence. 
Alongside Scavi in central defence was um, Sebastián Domínguez Vélez. And the right back... Was it Roncaña? No, it wasn't another Boca player. Mm. <laughs> I can have another. <laughs> uh, right. Uh. right back escapes me for now. I'll let one of you fill in the blanks for me and maybe it'll come to me. And then midfield, we had Somoza. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Roman Martinez from Tigre. Something quite similar to the team that I had in my head. And then I thought, you know, just for his impact on the team, even though I put I put Veron in there because I respect what he does. Okay. And then up front we had um, Ramirez of Godoy Cruz. That's uh, Ruben. Ruben, yeah, Ramirez. Then we had uh, Spicy Pereira, and we had one more who was. Matos. We went. Yeah. I went in the end for Dario Gandin of mm-hmm. Rafaela. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's not too far removed from mine, actually. I, I, I think I'm going to be going... I, I'm just writing one on my blog, which I'm probably going to do tonight, but I'm going to be going for Gandin as well. Yeah. Um, and your right-back? My right-back, I've not decided on just yet. I would have included Pelletieri because yeah. he was immense for Racing. And this is a team that went undefeated for almost all yeah. of the apertura. Yeah. Even if we think... Uh, Racing underachieved. It wasn't because of uh, because of Pelletieri. Mm. It could have been much worse <laughs> if it wasn't for him. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I'll probably have to give it a th- give it a thought because I I didn't prepare for for this. homework. So. Yeah. My, my other one was I, I put uh, where you where you have Veron in midfield. I think I'm I'm going to be putting Franco Vasquez in mm-hmm. uh, because oh, as yeah. we've already. Kind of said he, he's just he's been so good, he's so, good, yeah. so important. And, and I think that it's, as we it's, know. <laughs> yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how how Belgrano adjusts to life without him during the Clausura, given that, that they were hoping for some time to have him back on loan for six months before he went to mm. Italy. Um, but obviously, good luck to him in yeah. in Serie A. Um, so yeah, that's something like uh, what is ten of the eleven. Which, if you would like to suggest a right back, uh, yeah. I will go with Roncaglia. In my opinion, yeah, he was he was playing there and he was immense. I mean, yeah, he was very good. How have I forgotten who it was? It will come to me. I'll just if you hear a random Spanish name in it's, it's not next twenty minutes. It's, no, it wasn't Bishu. <laughs> it was a long way from Bishu. Yeah, if you hear a random Spanish name being shout out to Rex like in the next ten minutes, it's me remembering the name. Excellent. Um, we've had quite a few questions this week um, yeah. for Hannapod yeah. at, at Seba's nice. request so let's let's shoot on with, with some well, of them some of them music. are really interesting as well. music, yeah, I'll, I, I will do that yeah that's a good idea I'll, I'll play some music we'll, well you listeners can sit there and listen to it for 30 or 40 seconds and we'll, play the we'll just sit here pretending that we can hear it and recharge our glasses perhaps um, and we'll be back in a minute We've we've had a few questions, so we thought we'd give them, a, uh, being the end of the season, a slightly longer kind of section this week. So if, if the uh, if listeners' questions is your least favourite part of Hand of Pod, uh, please keep listening anyway. Just it, it'll keep our statistics nice and high. Uh, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> the first question that we've had, we're we just going to go through these in order. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. First question that we've had is from on on Twitter is from Anthony SAF of SouthAmericanFootball.co.uk. I, I thought it was C. Alex Ferguson. It could be. Oh, really? We'll ask. It could be. No, no, I'm joking. But it could be. We'll ask questions now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, who, who wants to know? Some RG fan could be. Yeah, Some RG fan. <laughs> essentially, uh, other than praying, uh, what can San Lorenzo do during the clausura to to avoid? Relegation. And they could start bribing referees. They could hire Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson as a coach. <laughs> it would probably be a positive step. No, I think uh, it's hard. I know what, what they have going to do. Is, yeah. Basically, I know what they're going to do is uh, they're going to hire a new coach and they're going to go back into the transfer market now by four or five new players, which they hope will turn it around. But that's what they've been doing for the last, say, four or five short seasons, and it's not been working for them. I think, to a huge extent as well, this Apertura, they, they've had an injury list which 
was enormous even for the very first round because a bunch of their players all got bad injuries uh, during pre-season. Mm. Um, and, and their injury list doesn't seem to have dipped below about eight players at any point during the Apertura. And some of them are really key. Oddi Gossa was out for a huge stretch of the Apertura. Manuoli missed a lot of games yeah, as well. Yeah. They've got players who should have been fixtures in their starting eleven, but who've not played a single match of the Apertura. Mm. So from that point of view, they've maybe been unlucky. But, I mean, you're quite right there. It's desperate measures for them now, really. I think, basically, the one thing they need to do, first and foremost, even before they think of buying in new, new players or getting the others back to fitness, is they've just got to stop the infighting. The infighting is absolutely killing them. We had, yeah. we had at one point in the season, it was, especially when Diaz was there, it was the coach against the president, the coach against some of the players, players against other players, and then the barra, <laughs> the barra against everyone, but yeah. maybe with the president. It's an absolute shambles, and until they fix that, they're not going to get out of where they're yeah. at at the moment. Mm. What they need to do is the, the, the most difficult uh, thing to do is to calm down and to think 19 games is a, a hell of a lot uh, mm. of football to be played. And if they string a couple of wins together, yeah. confidence will be up again, and, and they have they have some potential to do that. And But as I said, they, they need to calm down. And it's the most difficult thing to do when you are a big team, and all the pressure is on you and the media are talking how you're going to get relegated for the second time in history. And and every every sign points against uh, you and staying up. Yeah. And that's that's really difficult because w- once you're in the promotion places, the, the, the relegation promotion playoffs, it's like a vacuum cleaner, you know. It's, it's, it's very hard you to go back out, yeah. And, and you just need to calm down, play yeah. your, your game and... As, as Dan was saying, try to sort the, the, the mess yeah. uh, the club is in right now yeah. at every level. Although I wonder, like this might be going a bit, bit kind of off the wall here, but I've got a sneaking feeling that unlike River last year, this might work in their favour to a certain extent because I got the feeling going into the Clausura of this year that River finished what third in the Apertura before third or fourth, yeah, and. Out I of feel promotion. Out of the promotion, and I yeah. feel like they went into the clausura fairly complacent. Like we're not going to go down. There was a bit of a scare at the start, and we put it together. Now we're kind of out of the woods. And I think, yeah, I think they approached the second half of that season with a lot of complacency. And only, only one signing, which was only one signing. Yeah. Incidentally, was Fabian uh, yeah. from San Lorenzo. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, I think, yeah, this complacency is obviously not going to be there with San yeah. Lorenzo. Yeah. Um, maybe it will work in their favour a bit more than what we saw with River. We'll, yeah. we'll have to see. Yeah, they're not in denial. As no, they can't River, be. River were. They were earlier in the season, but now they're. No one's in any doubt what what kind of shit they're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our next. Two questions are, are kind of interrelated. Uh, one is from Rob is like, um, who asks whose idea was it and when were the Apertura and the Clausura uh, first introduced? Hmm. The the really short answer, of course, is Julio Grandona's idea, as yeah. is everything in Argentine football. <laughs> and 1991 was the first. Well, 1990-91 was played in an Apertura Clausura system, and the winners of each, which was Boca in the Apertura and Newells in the Clausura, uh, went to a playoff at the end of the season to decide the championship. Um, which is, as Seba mentioned last week, Boca won that that 1990 Apertura and counted among one of their titles, even though the AFA told them that they weren't the champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 91 Apertura, which was won by River, was the first of the short championships in which the winner of that short championship became the champion of Argentina, kind of de facto. Uh, Without having to play the final game against, against the winner of yeah. the Clausura. And, and I guess the obvious question now, which maybe Seba can enlighten us on very briefly, would be, why did why, they decide to do why, it? <laughs> yeah, why, why is the obvious question and is the harder to, to answer? Um, the reasoning they gave, uh, the AFA, was that uh, playing a short tournament will give uh, every club uh, a good chance because in the long run it was always the big teams that won it and in in a, in some way they were right but a couple of or maybe two decades later but we started seeing uh, clubs like Banfield and Lanús winning their yeah. first ever leagues and Argentinos Junior doing it uh, Way after their 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 prime in the mid in yeah. the mid eighties, also teams like Vélez who came on 
especially in the short tournaments. Exactly. Yeah. One of the best teams in yeah. South America. Before that, they only won one league in '68. Yeah. And how many so would they be on now? Seven or eight. Seven or eight. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, why was to make the the, the league more competitive? But um, but it's also going against <laughs> everything we we know. Uh, from other club, from other countries, and from yeah. the experience we had before in Argentina, um, we still we still have some people that are really fans of the short tournament. And if I'm not mistaken, is the is the only country in the world, or or of the most uh, popular f- football-wise countries in the world, that uh, hand out two national titles per season. Uh, there's quite a, there's quite a few in uh, Latin America, especially I know. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, in Mexico, of course, uh, Chile and Paraguay, all these. Yeah, yeah, they they, uh, they keep somehow it. they they started after <laughs> after yeah. Argentina started. And in um, Uruguay, they have a system similar to what we were just explaining in 1990-1991, where they have two champions, but they have to play off to become the overall champions of the of the season. Hmm. So uh, yeah, it's it's harder to explain why, and and the three of us here and. And also, Ozidan, yeah. who's not here, we're, we're not fans of the short tournaments at all. I don't um, think I hate him as much as you have a free. I've got a bit of a soft spot for him. All right. But I'm, I'm not a great fan, but it makes it interesting, kind of. At this time, you, you're looking down at the championship rather than just waiting for the middle of the season. I think, yeah. Yeah, that's that's about the only <laughs> oh, yeah. positive in inverted commas. But because I think what it, what it ended up prompting was the, this... Uh, desperate desperation to win at all costs. The it encourages short lack term of thinking. exactly yeah, la- short term short term uh, short term thinking. Lack of planification for yeah. thinking of the big picture. And and you see teams losing the first three matches of the Apertura, changing manager, mm-hmm. and, and the new manager doesn't click yeah. uh, soon enough with the with, with this new team. They change him again and and. It's a down, downward spiral, and then you see teams paying three or four contracts to mm-hmm. full contracts to managers. They are maybe forced by the fans to sack, or, or I don't know, unable to keep uh, yeah. in charge. So uh, I think it was, I think it was damaging for for Argentine football. And when when I always put the same example, but but when I see the the Brasileirao, the Brazilian mm-hmm. first division. I really envy them because he's. I think he's one of the best uh, leagues in the world right now, and, and we, we should have yeah. the same thing. I mean, although we should make the point that just because it's a year-long league in Brazil doesn't mean that the coaches have any longer life expectancy. No, no, they no, change no. coaches more often than they change their tires on the team bus. Yeah, that's probably South American. Yeah, I think it's Latin yeah. American. It's the Latin mentality. fire, right? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know what you mean, but uh, it's, it's beautiful to see. Three or four teams that really deserve yeah. uh, to be fighting for the title, all going together for for the same price uh, at the end of the season of the season, and that's what I would like to see because this season, Boca, they won the Apertura by 12 points, but they w- they only won the the year the year long uh, table. They 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 were also on top of that one, but only by one point of difference uh, ahead of Vélez. And this is because Vélez, halfway through the clausura, knew they were not going to win it. They started playing reserves and went for the Copa Sudamericana instead. And that's that's the kind of things uh, yeah. that, that shouldn't happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, the the next question is, is ties in with a similar kind of... Uh, we talk about Argentine clubs sacking managers willy-nilly and, and the Argentine FA have a similar reputation throughout their history for playing around needlessly with, with the league formats. Um, as we've already hinted, there was a time before 1990 when Argentina had a, what I guess to most Europeans, perhaps slightly colonially, would be known as a proper league system. Um, and before that, there was a, a very confusing system. And Jose Dolores says um, via Twitter, has, has asked us... To, essentially what, what the difference was between being Metropolitano champions and Nacional champions. These were the two championships that were played in Argentina between... Um, oh, God, when was it? Uh, 1967 and 1985. Well done, Seba. And Seba, of course, is, is by far the best place to hmm. have a go at tackling this question for us. Yeah, yeah. I was born in the, in the era of 
the Campeonato Nacional and, and Metropolitano, the, the two of them were played on the same year, and but not at the same time. Maybe the end of the Campeonato Nacional coincided with the start of the Campeonato Metropolitano, and essentially the Campeonato Nacional was a bit uh, inclusive, and they had teams from the provinces taking part of the early rounds. And eventually what happened was that uh, the later rounds, it was a format similar to what we see in competitions like Copa Libertadores or or Champions League. You have like four, six, eight groups depending on the year and and they were divided uh, with a couple of big teams from Buenos Aires or the, the greater Buenos Aires and maybe the, the bigger teams from Rosario, Córdoba. They got to play against Uh, small teams from um, I don't know Jujuy, Salta places that are not really traditional when it comes to football in Argentina so what happened was that they got those uh, small clubs got got a chance to play uh, against Boca La Bombonera and host Boca uh, in their provinces and then uh, what, it, what, what, ended up ha what ended up happening uh, every year or almost every every time the, these national tournaments were played was that after the group stage only the, the, the bigger teams would advance and they would play the eight finals and the quarterfinals well, sh sorry, I shouldn't say eight finals this is a round of 16 anyway and, and yeah, it was always the final was played between River, Boca, Ras. well, not Racing because <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a particularly success, successful period for Racing but Independiente, San Lorenzo you name it they were all there uh, competing and taking part of the later, later rounds of the Nacional and when it ended It was the Campeonato Metropolitano. So that the, nas started. the Nacional was played like in the, in the very start of the year. Yeah. Um, from February. Like the state uh, championships are now, right? From, for, yeah, from, from February to May or April. Yeah. In a way, it's, a, it's comparable to the Campeonato Estadual, the, the state championship they, they play in Brazil, mm -hmm. except that. In this case, teams from every region were mixed yeah, groups, sure. and uh, but it, it's comparable because it was because of the time. yeah because time. of the time of the year and it was played and, and the structure a little bit and the relevance, which the Metropolitano was always uh, a bit more relevant. But uh, um, for all these teams, they consider the Nacional and the Metropolitano as equals, mm -hmm. and they wanted to win both. And teams that won the Nacional consider consider it to be as important as the Metropolitano and those teams who have uh, stars or, or marks on their badges, uh, they, they treat this Nacional and Metropolitano as equals. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, of course, as we mentioned before, they don't treat championships one in the amateur era as equal. If, if they did, then Boca would, would have won uh, 30 league titles and River would have won 34, and as it is, Boca have won according to them, 26, and River of 133, and that's according to Bocas and River's own fans. Yeah. Uh, and yet they do treat the, the Metro and the Nacional equally. Um, yeah. and, and the Nacional was sort of the the continuation of the previous first division. Well, sorry, the Metropolitano was the, yeah, exactly. the continuation of the previous first division, which which had just teams from Greater Buenos Aires, La Plata, and Rosario. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um You got me now, because I think there were from from other parts as well. Uh, La Plata, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I think yeah, I think Cordoba too. The, the places where teams are directly affiliated to mm -hmm. the AFA. So the I don't main, know if, as the name suggests, the main metropolitan areas, yeah, really, yeah. Of, of the of the country. Yeah. Um, And, but I don't know if there were ex um, exceptions and if teams from other places were included. I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't. Sure. Uh, be sure of that uh, the and then for a f no. sorry for after the 85 Nacional the, the Campeonato Nacional of 85 they changed the format again and there was a hiatus for half of a half of, of season without any first division activity and it was to make it coincide with the start of the European season which I think it was a good idea at the time mostly because of the way that the transfer window op operates and, and the way 
everything revolves uh, around the European calendar. And I think it was a good idea and a good ini initiative that unfortunately lasted only six seasons. But I think that was a proper year. Uh, it was a proper year-round uh, or season-long tournament, and with with 20 teams competing and and, and playing it home and away against each other and yeah I have a couple of, hist of, of stories about those uh, uh, that particular era of Argentine football between 85 and 91 maybe we will leave it for the summer editions of Underpod but mm -hmm. um, there was a, an, an entire uh, squad for a first division club one of the big fives uh, of the big five that was uh, rented to a team in Mendoza for to play a regional league, and they actually turn up to play with a different shirt. They were paid the salaries for from this uh, other club to play a regional league, and they didn't do well. I will I will keep the name for myself, and I will tell you the story during the summer or your winter if you're in the northern hemisphere. And then uh, a different uh, kind of format uh, in one season in which. Um, no, it was the only season in Argentine football in which there were no draws, and I won't tell you any more. Any, any more. But there were no draws. And as as crazy as it sounds, I will tell you the story later. These are things to listen out for in in January um, when we when we do our summer editions. Uh, we've had another question from. Is that what does your writing say there? Second, uh, terrible. My writing. Uh, Second last one. Tom Robo eighty nine. Tom Robo eighty nine wants to know whether uh, Facundo Ferreira, aka Chucky Ferreira, either could or should or both uh, leave Banfield if he's going to do better. Ferreira is uh, under twenty one Argentine uh, national side striker. Um, we all, I think would all agree that, that we really like him but of course Banfield have very much struggled during this Apertura for goals as much as for anything else um, guys what do you think I mean we, we pretty much know I think between some of our contacts that there is European interest from him um, should he leave? I think yeah a move away from Banfield wouldn't be a bad idea but I would really like to see him stay in Argentina and get a move to be honest maybe go to one of the, the bigger teams in the, in the league Boca possibly, Racing, River, something like this, even though they're in the B, as um, perverse as it sounds. Well, I think get chances to, to come through Yeah, as well. I think that would be a really good move for him, play a, play a couple of years in one of the big Argentine teams, and then possibly yeah, go from there and, and move on, because he's still pretty inexperienced for a striker. He's played maybe two seasons, three seasons, short seasons as a first-teamer. And maybe I don't think he. I think maybe he, less. Yeah. Maybe even less. Yeah. I don't think he should be in in any rush to leave Argentina. But if I was him, I don't think Banfield's going to give him the opportunities he needs. Yeah, it was always going to be a case of uh, to see whether a European team comes calling right now, because sometimes for these kids it's too tempting and 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 rightly so because probably your whole future and that of your family will be sorted yeah, forever. Course, and yeah. And sometimes these these kids are are um, thinking of their careers uh, in a second um, on a second yeah, level. Subconsciously, yeah, subconsciously. Yeah, they they think more of uh, the well-being of their family, mm -hmm. and, and you you couldn't you couldn't possibly blame them. And sometimes it's not the kid who gets to say as well. It has to be said. Yeah, yeah, yeah there are pushing parents and, and agents and whatever and at every level. When it comes yeah. to f just football, if you were only thinking about football, um, I think the best thing was uh, what Dan said. Uh, he should stay, continue yeah. to grow in confidence and, and, and show what he can do. Because mm. he's a very complete kind of player, very intelligent striker. Yeah. We saw we saw him playing at the South American uh, Under-20 Championship, yeah. the Youth uh, Championship. And he was unknown. Everybody was talking about the Turbe, Funes about Mori. Funes Mori, and about Araujo, mm. and he was the one yeah. really, really making an impact for Ar for Argentina and, and and scoring some nice goals and yeah. crucial goals. What so I'm wondering now is, um, I think we've covered there whether he should move, but if he could move, I'm wondering if, especially if it's going to play into Banfield's favour in this case, um, the bad season they've had, because I think we're all aware with that. What these short seasons do, if 
a team finishes champion, it really puts in puts their young players, the stars, in the shot window. We saw it two years ago with Banfield when they mm-hmm. had um, James Rodriguez and Silva mm-hmm. Riti. Mm-hmm. All of those players went pretty soon after that at different points. And we could see the opposite with Ferreira because he's been completely out of the spotlight because we can probably guess that European scouts aren't watching games that don't involve the top teams, the teams fighting the championship necessarily in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Argentina. Maybe he'll fly under the radar a little bit further, further yet, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's inter- I think his Sudamericana, um, Sudamericano performance at the start of the year probably made a few people. Yeah, aware of him, uh, mm-hmm. but but we'll see what happens. And I uh, I agree. I think it would be good of him to stay in Argentina, but that yeah, he probably needs to get out of Banfield if he's going to get the chances to show what he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, Another question, just uh, yeah, one one last we one heard, before we go. And we heard just the, the ringtone. It was another question for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me check it. Who, yeah. Who's it from then? It's from. <laughs> no, I meant your, your text message, but uh, it's from Wes eighteen eighty eight. Because this is a smartphone, obviously I get um, Twitter on it, as these two can see. <laughs> um, oh, he has a flashlight. Nice. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's pretty space-age technology. <laughs> Wes1888 asks about the Racing Intercontinental Cup triumph of 1967, which was obviously against Celtic, and we believe he's a Celtic fan. No, we, we are sure. He said, We're he said, pretty sure he's a Celtic yeah, no, fan. No, he yeah. said, and, and also I believe uh, 1888 is the year... In which uh, Celtic was founded. It could well uh, be, yeah. I think so. I think I'm. I'm yeah, and I believe. Yeah, what Wes was asking, according to my my smartphone, <laughs> is um, what is the Argentine and uh, Racing fans' perspective of that 1967 victory, which mm. I think Seba would have fairly strong views on. As, as a non-Racing fan who's been to a fair few Racing home games, uh, the, the kind of propaganda, if you like, of being the, the first Argentine team to be world champions is certainly something that you see painted on walls and stuff outside mm-hmm. uh, and Cilindro and, and all the rest of it um, but let's let's let Seba and Dan the actual Racing fans yeah. uh, well uh, as a Racing fan and obviously as uh, when, when I was growing up hearing my family my, my, my dad my grandpa telling me all about it my dad was at the game he, he took a a ferry from Buenos Aires to Montevideo went to the game he was only 18 or so uh, around that time and uh, obviously you hear stories about that team as just being heroes and and the way they play here is nothing uh, compared to the way they are pictured by the 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 British media mm-hmm. um, they're, they're looked uh, as if they were animals as if they were violent as if violence was their only possible tool to win a game or, or kind of their s- way to win a game kind of similar in a way to how the British media often portray Antonio Ratin the captain yeah, of Argentina yeah. in 66 who was famously sent off um, in, in the 66 quarter final against England um, but who in Argentina has a reputation for being a, a gentleman he was captain of Boca Juniors they yeah. won a championship and I think it was El Grafico tried to get that Boca team to have the picture taken in front of Rivers Stadium. And he said, no, that's not how you conduct yourself as a sportsman. What are you talking about? We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose similarly to that. Yeah, here, the even neutrals and fans of other other clubs, rivals, they consider that team of Racing 66, 67, the same way in Scotland and, and the whole Britain, they consider the, the Lisbon Lions of Celtic. You know, They, they were really, really... It's a great team, a great team of, of football. And then, uh, when I grew up and started reading and, and became aware of the way uh, Scottish and Celtic fans and, and fans of other clubs in general from Britain, how they saw Racing, I was really shocked and I was surprised. Not that I didn't know it was a violent uh, series of three games. The first, the first leg played in in Scotland. Uh, where Celtic won 1-0, then uh, Racing won 2-1 in Avellaneda after uh, getting behind in the score uh, through a Celtic penalty. And then the third leg was played in Montevideo in Uruguay, which is closer to to Buenos Aires than to Glasgow. It's a lot closer, but the, the Uruguayan fans, they were all supporting 
Celtic, uh, the majority of them. Because Racing had beaten Peñarol, I believe, the year before. No, Nacional. 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 Yeah, Racing had beaten the Uruguayan, the Uruguayan champions the, in, the, in the Copa Libertadores that, that season. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, they went, they, they, support, uh, they supported Celtic. And then recently I saw a documentary, um, and it was made by, by Celtic or... or I think it was aired on Celtic Channel, Celtic TV, or something like that, and it was a Scottish production, and it was all about how uh, Racing players were thugs and and how uh, they they I don't know kicked the hell out of the of the Celtic players. And in, in when I saw some some of those uh, images, footage that I never saw before, some some of them in colors, that was tremendous archive or or, or material that I never saw and I really appreciate it. You could see Celtic players also yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say uh, they were provoking or causing it. They, they were they were probably reacting and we don't know what happened before the game or at the hotel. All sorts of stuff that happened in South America, not only with Racing. Um, but I saw a, a Celtic player punching the, the Racing keeper and then kicking him when he was on the ground he wa- he got sent off Alfio Basile we all know him because of uh, he was manager of Argentina recently uh, was also sent off in that game and so I think it was um, two teams of of, of, of gentle or, or men yeah. playing against each other not gentle in a very tense atmosphere very charged yeah and yeah yeah and the the perspective from from fans of not not only Racing but neutrals is that it was a proper classic team that that one of yeah. uh, that, that that Racing team of sixty six sixty seven and they're not regarded as villains uh, whatsoever not at all and they they are still remembered to these days uh, as the first uh, Argentine club to win an intercontinental mm-hmm. cup. And in fact, uh, Racing won an international competition outside of South America or against European mm-hmm. opposition before the national team of Argentina ever did yeah. it. So that, that was... Yeah, that's, that's what I meant when I said the yeah. first Argentine yeah. team at yeah. club yeah, level yeah. or national level mm-hmm. to be world champions. I yeah. think it's, yeah, it's interesting from my, my perspective because if you can imagine, I basically grew up with the opposite view of the game and hearing the exact opposite kind of things that Seba would. I know... Not so much from Celtic, but obviously I've read about it, but I'm not from Scotland. But I knew that a lot of kind of older Manchester United fans especially talked about the following game, which was in 1968, I believe, against Estudiantes. Yeah. yeah, which basically you have the same accusations and calling the Argentine players animals and that they kicked and that they dived and that they threw stuff, all this kind of thing. And I guess once when you take it and you read it, you know, kind of, we're talking about in legitimate history books here. This is the accepted, the accepted narrative of of British football. Then you come to Argentina and talk to other people and start to get another perspective on it, and you realise that it's kind of a lot of this is is uh, wound up in kind of this Britain-centric view of football that we were the gentlemen of the games, especially back then, and these kind of foreigners were the other. They they weren't, you know, they didn't play it in the proper spirit. And you realise you you scratch under the surface, you look at it from the other the other direction, and it's it's mostly mostly crap to be honest. Neither team were saints in that game, a long way from it. But I don't think you can really blame Racing over Celtic or Celtic over Racing. It was they both gave pretty much as good as they got. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, I, as a Racing fan, obviously I'm, I've come late. I've learnt to idolise these players probably maybe a bit more objectively than some other wrestling fans could but I think it's wrong to demonise them because they play football and they play to win mm-hmm. and in that kind of in that era they they did what they had to do mm. yeah. I've certainly spoken to some Argentine fans who very much share the British view of, of Estudiantes at least um, uh, and and uh, I'm trying to make sure this cat doesn't go anywhere in the microphone. Yeah, um, but yeah, where Estudiantes did kind of perhaps give birth to the anti-football thing. 
to an extent, but at the same time, the Racing side has certainly not looked on in those terms here. No. And, and generally speaking, there is definitely a, a complete difference in discourse, even towards Estudiantes, although they're recognised as a very hard team who certainly pushed the, the law right to the limit. Um, yeah, Estudiantes, sorry, just yeah, to, yeah. to briefly touch on that. Uh, Estudiantes won uh, the Intercontinental against uh, Manchester United. Oh, and then against Milan. The and then the following year, they played Milan. Oh, they lost it to Milan. They lost, they lost yeah. to Milan. They played in La Bombonera. Three of their players went to jail yeah. after yeah. after the game, uh, accused of assault. <laughs> and, and it was a completely different approach to the game, the one Estudiantes had yeah. and the one mm-hmm. Racing had at that, around that time. It's a bit comparable to the Leeds, of, uh, the Leeds United team of the 70s. Uh, mm. it was, was it the 70s, right? Yeah. Early yeah. 70s. Um, they were considered to be dirty and, and, and really, really play uh, on the edge of the of the rules, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, that that was different. And maybe Manchester United uh, had a mm. had a point. Uh, but still, they weren't looking on them, as we say, as estudiantes. They were looking on them as Argentines. Argentines. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's what the thing in it. Yeah. It plays into this whole narrative that British people, the British media, British sports historians have built up. Kind of lazy ones, of course. There's exceptions. There's a whole narrative that's been built up about Argentine football, which goes from 1966 through those World Cup Championship matches through to Maradona in 86 and then Simeone, Simeone and Beckham's Beckham. kick in 98. And it's kind of an entirely negative, borderline, I don't like to say the word racist, but it's very kind of stereotypical how Argentine football has been painted in the British media. Xenophobic. Xenophobic, yeah, I guess. Xenophobic is probably the best word. And I um, think this goes, you could almost say it, you know, it's carrying on even with the treatment of Luis Suarez, which mm. we've discussed. I don't know if we've discussed it in the mic, but the but his treatment after saying things that all of us in, in Latin America would shrug off as not really an incident. Mm-hmm. Lewis Suarez kind of, often doesn't help himself. It yeah. has to be. Yeah. It's very true, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of this thing about yeah, kind of Argentine, Uruguayan teams and players. Yeah, they're definitely painted in a in a certain way by British media, and I think that a lot of that's still stuck in this idea they had dating back from the sixties. Absolutely. Um, we have run some way over our, our recording time now, but uh, that was hopefully some. Hopefully, first of all, Wes. Hopefully, we answered your question. Um, and secondly, for those of you who are listening, hopefully it gives you a, a kind of sneak preview, if you will, of some of the stuff that we'd, we'd quite like to cover in more depth to do with the history and the culture of football here uh, during our, our summer episodes in January. <laughs> if that phrase confuses anybody, then it is, of course, because the seasons really are the other way round on this side of the equator if you're listening from Europe or North America. That's not just a, a, a legend that you've heard. It really is true. We're going into summer. So this is the last hand a pod of this season at least and we'll be back in the new year probably I don't think we'll be recording again in December we're going to give ourselves a few weeks Just off over the holiday yeah Just yeah. over the beach I'm going to meet you guys yeah we will as well I'm waiting for the invite for an asado or something I'm okay. sure it'll be coming in the next couple of weeks yeah okay, let me know when someone invites you I'll join in but we'll say for now we hope you uh, those of our listeners who celebrate it have a, a very nice Christmas and, and a happy new year um, and all of the rest of it uh, that's from Aussie Dan in his absence I, I think we can safely say that he would wish you all that as well uh, from Seba adios buenas uh, buenas noches y feliz navidad feliz año nuevo I, I, I know how to speak in Spanish though, so I, well, but I wasn't prepared I didn't have anything to say so uh, muchas gracias y see you next year English Dan it's fine I'll be criticising Seba for his very sloppy Spanish there he loves to do it with me in English <laughs> Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all our listeners, and goodbye. And the same from me. Bye for now.